There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Blaster Cannon, a den of geek podcast that explores the Star Wars universe, both canon and otherwise. I'm one of your hosts, I'm Seth, and with me as always is Megan Krauss. Hello. And Paul Herman. Hi. So today we're going to be talking about the latest Star Wars novel, which is Claudia Gray's latest addition to the Star Wars canon, which is Bloodline, a Leia novel. But first we're going to be talking a little bit about news from this month. Some of it's kind of old, but it's still interesting stuff, I think. Episode 8 is filming at the moment, which everyone kind of knows. And Mark Hamill, Daisy Ridley, and a few other people have been seen wrapping up filming in Marlin Head? Malin Head? I don't know. Malin Head. Yeah. I'm going with Malin Head. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would say Malin. I'm not sure. And this is so this has been going on for a couple weeks, but I think as of today it's still um people have seen Mark Hamill, Daisy Ridley and another actor who we're going to refrain from talking about because spoilers in that location. So presumably something going on with Luke's training or Ray's training and I don't know. It's kind of interesting though. Yeah, I agree. See, there's like a lot of set photos coming out that have been found by drones and stuff found, taken by drones. Um, I haven't looked at any of them, but they found those pictures. Stuff, it's out there. <laughs> I hate when my set photos are just found and stolen by drones. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's also a case of people breaking into the set and taking photos, which, not cool. Yeah. Really not yeah. cool. Did you guys hear about Don't that? Do it. I, I've kind of. No, that's. I have not. I, I've heard that it's kind of um i think star wars 7 news or star wars news.net uh, i forgot the name i, I got frequent the site a lot they had mentioned they had a tweet out and they said that disney should just have a like a a line and a in a, in a ticket booth or whatever or something like that to like for the for the set because everyone seems to be going in it you know pretty much um so i don't know i i, I definitely don't like people that are breaking in and taking pictures that seems kind of weird and wrong but at the same time with a high profile thing like star wars i mean and you don't have good security that's what you're gonna get i mean you know what i mean it's that's kind of way i mean that doesn't make it right of course but i just kind of figure well with a high profile and and people want that you know knowledge it's it's just kind of par for the course you know it's such a sense of fan entitlement though to think that you're allowed well not that you're allowed to but that you are entitled to finding out this information by even breaking in like doing a crime committing a crime to get these photos it's really i don't know it yeah it, it really speaks a lot for how entitled fandom can get sometimes you know if loving star wars is wrong then i don't want to be rat. <laughs> <laughs> well star wars it, has such a history of having to do this there was the whole blue harvest thing and i think episode eight is going by space bear right now like they they know how to handle paparazzi and fans trying to get in the drones thing that's another level original trilogy didn't have to worry about drones <laughs> they're really gonna have to get some snipers in for those i think <laughs> yeah <laughs> well they're, they're making all kinds of stuff you get a gun that just shoots a net drops the drone it exists uh, yeah really? yeah hmm. it does yeah in more positive star wars news celebration orlando was announced in 2017 this month on may 4th it's coming out th- coming out it's happening it's April coming out 13th to 17th it's coming out it's coming out <laughs> yeah uh 13th it is. 17th, it's coming out to florida yeah easter weekend i'm going i think both of you two are going yes ma'am yep we're gonna have our uh blaster cannon reunion reunion yeah. oh it's weird that's that's good it's a good weird because we- <laughs> like first meeting and also not a first meeting because like i've met all of you in person before but yes we haven't been doing this very long so you know yeah. I, I was thinking about this so me and megan hung out a lot at 
which was a lot of fun um, at the last celebration. But Saf, actually, we did hang out a little bit because uh, our some of our crews sat by each other during, I think, the Clone Wars um, Bad Batch arc. I think I sat. That sounds right. Because you were Princess Leia, right? One yeah, day. I was. I think I think it was that day, and I was like, "Oh, Saf is Princess Leia today." <laughs> Yeah, I was late one of those days. It was fun. It was yeah, one of those days. But anyway, I, I just remember I, I, I did actually like we like, talked a little bit. I think I was sitting next to Jonah and you were sitting next to Jonah. Like she was in between us or whatever. So I think so. It's been a while, but I, I have a I have a good like <laughs> photographic memory like that. So I know that those weird little like where I was exactly because <laughs> I also remember I was um, sitting in, uh, behind Jonah when they revealed Rex at Celebration last year. Oh, you would have been near me then too. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, I was sitting right next to her then. Both both her and I were screaming so much. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. We just lost it. <laughs> I just saw her like go, like go down, like to cry, you know, when, she, when Rex came on, and I patted her on the back. I was like, "Add a girl." So, <laughs> so I um, do not for... have a very good memory, but I know that I met Saf at that dinner before Celebration Anaheim last year because it was like the first time we met in person, and we went to go get utensils together or something do you remember that i do remember that yeah yeah (laughs) that was before all this before we knew anyway (laughs) (laughs) anyway moving on we're just like starting anyway (laughs) celebration orlando will be held in the orange county convention center which is where it was the last time it was held in orlando and it's pretty cool i'm excited to see how it's grown because the last time i was there was celebration five and i imagine they might use more of the convention center than they did before was now did they use a lot they so you're telling me they didn't use very much of the convention floor last time right so this is extremely anecdotal because that was the first celebration I ever went to. So I didn't exactly have any other convention at that location to compare it to. What I remember is that they did use the entire like vendor floor. They had a massive open space, but there were a couple of sections that just had smaller rooms and they would loop the lines through them to wait for panels, but there were no actual panels going on. And I think those hallways did have rooms in them that could have been used for smaller panels. That's what I'm thinking of, but again, mm. entirely anecdotal. I wonder if they'll have more um, podcast uh, panels or rooms for podcast you know, panels, if you will, um, during this next celebration. Because I kind of feel like they could have like had a, bu- a, a bunch more, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Well, the podcast stage wasn't always showing... like. It wasn't packed full of podcasts the entire weekend, so they still needed more anyways. It's possible they will do more than one podcast stage, so that might be iffy because they don't want people to choose between podcasts. I don't know. Either way, <laughs> it's going to be cool. Don't choose between podcasts. No, I, what if I get, What if I, I got scheduled for two different podcasts on the same time? That's actually a really awkward. good point, Seth. <laughs> It's a good point. It's, it's possible. Well, obviously, you would choose the one that you love the most. Yeah. So, oh, no dear. pressure. Um, sorry. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the podcast funny. community has grown so much. There were so many at Celebration Anaheim. That'll be That'll be interesting for sure. It's part of what I love about Celebration is that even before any of the panel schedules are out, I already have schedules to like meet with friends on the evening and like the social part is a lot of fun for people that have met through Star Wars. Yeah. It, it, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's what I think. And I think that's what I look forward to the most is, is just interacting with, with my friends like you guys and all the other people like, my, like you know, John Beerley and, and other great friends, my, my guys from, uh, from the Shout out to John Beerley. Shout out to Beerley. You know, my friend and I were talking about him last night and I said he's the nicest man in the universe. And uh, which Possibly is true. true. It really it really is. There's, there's no one nicer yeah. Yeah. John Burley. He really is the sweetest man alive. Um, but yeah, like my song continues, guys. I'm just looking forward to seeing everyone. You know, I know you guys just crew the Tashi Station. Looking forward to meeting them. And I never met them and, and stuff. And just kind of, yeah, I'm excited to just meet everybody and just high five and hugs. I'm all about it. So yeah. this will be the first celebration in the United States after a Star Wars movie was announced, right? Because mm-hmm. Force Awakens was announced at Anaheim. And then we had London, and then this one, Force Awakens and Rogue One will be out. So this is like the first real American sequel trilogy convention, which is going to be interesting. Just imagine all the new cosplayers from Rogue One and The Force Awakens. Yeah, yeah. Woo! 
Ooh, that's going to be cool. I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah. If any of our listeners are looking, are considering going to Celebration and aren't sold on it yet, it is literally the best con you could go to if you're a Star Wars fan. It is amazing. And um, tickets go on sale on 25th, I think. So t- tomorrow yeah, if you're in New Zealand right now for me, but not if you're listening now um, as of recording. So they'll be out by the time you're listening to this podcast. Go buy tickets. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really well run. Um, you're just surrounded by Star Wars and that's great. As for other Star Wars news, the Darth Vader comic is ending with issue 25 in June, which I have no strong opinions on because I haven't been reading it. I feel like I don't think Megan has either, but Paul has opinions. Ugh, gosh, you know, we have, I know we're going to read, we're going to go back and reread this, correct, for our show at some point, so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We can do that. Yeah, well, we better do it. No, Um. I hope so, because. <laughs> now think, we have to. Yeah, now we have, now you have to. Um. No, it's funny because Darth Vader is one of those series that, it started out really strong because, and and I think because the prequel acknowledgements in it were so strong initially. Um, I'm not sure if it kept that necessarily, but the first the first six issues are slam dunks, minus like a weird like when the spoiler alert if you don't have it or or plan on reading eventually. Uh, Basically, when the, when the cyborg kid showed up, it's kind of weird. It's just not. It's just kind of a, a jarring thing. But the issue after that, issue six, um, where you kind of where Darth Vader finds out from Boba Fett that he has a son, it's powerful because it re- you know goes right back into those prequel memories of Anakin and Padme and, and Padme telling Anakin she's pregnant. I mean, you. He, I mean, Kieran Gillian basically melded the two trilogies together like they're supposed to, and it was really nice to see that in action for the first time in a real canonicity way if that makes any sense because you know you have you have, we had so many stories in the in the legends universe that were made before the prequels came out right so they were at a, i mean i don't want to say a disadvantage but they kind of were in a sense because they didn't really have a lot to pull from in those times you know where it's like don't talk about the prequel trilogy at all or the you know the, the the clone wars you can't talk about it so you couldn't really talk about how anakin and his wife were talking about being you know being pregnant or whatever and this with with having the prequels done you have you, you essentially have the whole backstory to pull from now and you're seeing that used in the best way possible and i think karen gillian did a great job of that in the first arc and the second arc after that was probably the weakest of the series so far and I think a lot of people started to jump off of it, just basically, basically because it just kind of lost some steam. But I think the the, the next the next one after that is where it's kind of picked back up again, where he's kind of getting his groove back in there. He's you know going on a planet with a with a with a princess, and he's and he's basically controlling this this uh, this planet and the the kind of materials they have to to create the ship's armor, things like that. And it's really cool out what's going on, and and all in the background you have the Doctor Afra stuff going on with Triple Zero and BT. Um, great, which has just been great. Doctor Afra has been an amazing character, and I love the character a lot and it's different she doesn't necessarily feel like a George Lucas character which isn't a bad thing it's just something different and I really like mm. the character a lot she's very she has a death wish and I really like she's just very interesting to me that she's afraid and not afraid of Darth Vader you know and what does that mean that she doesn't sound like a Darth or a, a Darth Vader character a George Lucas character well she just she, I don't know she just seems really just, I just can't see George Lucas coming up with a, with a character like her for some reason is it because she's a well written lady well I probably would say that um, <laughs> I mean I, I mean no, it's no. the elephant in the room no I mean because I lo- here's the thing I thought he, he, and this is my honest opinion. I thought George did a great job with Leia and A New Hope. She's a strong, she's an amazing female oh, lead. He's good. He's good at coming up with really good female character ideas. Following through with them is not his strong point. He obviously butchered, uh, you know, Padme. But I will give you that. So the cows come home. <laughs> I'll also say Natalie Portman is a very good actress in that in those movies. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Um, yeah, that's a whole different. Thing. Yeah, that's a whole different thing. But. 
no, Doctor. I guess I say that because he just doesn't really. This is my opinion. She doesn't scream George Lucas to me, which is not bad. I'm not saying it has to be George Lucas to be Star Wars, because as evident through the sequel trilogy and Rogue One and all these other things we're getting, they're branching up and making things non-George Lucas finally and making those things matter, which is, you know, I think good. I mean, I still love George to death, and I hardly, I don't like saying bad things about him. I don't. It's hard, because I love, he he's a creator of something that spawned me with so many people and ca- gave me countless hours of, you know, escapism that I love and hold dear to my heart. So... I don't say that in a very I don't say that in a negative way necessarily I just I can tell it just doesn't seem like a George Lucas character but that being said the Darth Vader series I thought in the last like six issues has really got back on track it's headed towards an end and it seems like Kieran Gillian is is finally giving is, is giving it it's kind of a there's always kind of an idea of where it could end and I kind of think that it's because it's nearing Empire Strikes Back territory and I think that there's only so many stories you can tell with Darth Vader specifically in the Empire Strikes Back or the pre-Empire Strikes Back era post uh, A New Hope. So I think there's yeah. always kind of a, a, an end game with that as he gets closer and closer and closer to Empire Strikes Back Darth Vader, which has been really exciting. I, I think that it's been, a, for the most part, a hit. I'm really interested in what you guys think about it. I think in the later issues, like Vader Down, Vader Down was fantastic. Can't wait to review that with you guys. I mean, there's this. I just love the comic books. You guys know me. The comics are my thing, so I love it. But what I'm what I'm interested in is: Are the Star Wars comics going to keep going through Empire Strikes Back? Like, when are they going to eventually kind of meet? You know, meet up with that kind of time frame and what's going to happen then is the, is the issue number is going to keep going I'm interested to see what happens and I'm also interested to see what's going to replace Darth Vader I mean Darth Vader is still a decent selling book I mean I don't analyze numbers but I know it's not doing awful so I'm curious what's the plan for it because this is an ongoing series so this I mean obviously 25 issues is a substantial amount of issues it came out for you know what almost two years now I mean it'll be almost two years year and a half I guess so wow I Oh, yeah. Well, Kieran Gillen said that he had always planned on this being a story with a beginning and an end. And I like that as an idea. I can't really speak to it for this comic because exactly like you said, Paul, I dropped off around that middle arc where it was getting just like a little too weird and there wasn't too much for me to latch on to. I like the sounds of the later arc. I like the character of the queen sounds kind of interesting. Just haven't picked him up yet. We should talk about it once it comes out in trade. I, I like that. I think Karen Gillan had a very, um, a very specific vision for it. And as a writer, I certainly know that feeling of you've sort of paced yourself in a certain way and realized that it's going to feel better. It's going to be a more um, coherent story if you just stop at, you know, stop at the moment the story wants you to stop. And I'm glad that I don't know what conversations Karen Gillan had with Marvel, what conversations are going on about what other Marvel ongoing Star Wars series might pop up. But I'm kind of glad that they, to me, this is a, a company listening to a writer when a writer tells them something. I don't know if that's what happened behind the scenes, but it was kind of nice to look at an interview and go, maybe that's what happened. Yeah, and I think it'll be good to talk about it once it's over and everything's come out as well to discuss how it worked having that ending and likely having that ending as a goal to come along at the at the right time and not be dragged along continuously just because it's making money which doesn't always end well with comics no you're Um, right that's a great point Saf like that's a great yeah I have I used to read a lot more comics not necessarily Star Wars comics but I used to read a lot more comics and there were ones you would know were just being dragged along because they were bestsellers and that the writers didn't necessarily have an overarching plot to follow and they were always less fun to read anyways it's nice to have a more concise story a lot of the time yeah. And I'm sure they'll come up with something with Darth Vader soon enough anyways, because they love Vader. Yeah, and, I, I, and also I think that, again, where we get where, where we are in Empire Strikes Back isn't exactly give us a ton of story opportunity either, because especially the way that Kieran Gillian's writing it, he wants, he's essentially setting up before Empire Strikes Back. So, I mean, if there are more stories to tell after, um, after issue 25, then there's, gonna, there's probably not many left after that, and you can always explore that in a mini 
series and not in a ongoing series. I think that's the one thing that I think Marvel's kind of gone with is keeping that, you know, an, an option open for like a third, fourth Star Wars title as the miniseries title, you know, where you have, you know, it's not, you know, con- it doesn't always keep going with the numbering. It just kind of restarts and goes Chewbacca on Solo and Anakin and Obi-Wan. And that's, and that's cool. To, and I think it's refreshing to kind of hop all over the timeline. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested where they're going to go with this. I mean, I, I we've, we've got a sequel trilogy um, ongoing. We have a, an OT ongoing. Maybe we need a PT ongoing. I don't know. Well, so. there's Obi-Wan Anakin. Is that an ongoing or no, a miniseries? A miniseries. Totally a miniseries. I think okay. number five, which is coming out this the week of May 25th, is the last issue. Uh, but that's almost over. As much as I, I really like that one, I'd love to see a prequel comic in that that vein yeah and i wonder whether they're going to have darth vader come back in a mini series like they could do you know a four issue vader comic between empire and jedi there are um there's a lot of conversation that could be had about why a lot of the marvel stuff is said between a new hope and empire right now it's interesting that there's there's just more time between those two movies i think it's three years between a new hope and empire and then it's only a year or even less between empire and return of the jedi and obviously han solo's in carbonite um the characters are in a little more static places there so as much as i want to kind of get out of this the new hope era because it restricts you you have to sort of only use what's been seen in the movies to a degree, although Gillen went far afield with his X-Men <laughs> style dark side characters. I do wonder what opportunities there are going to be to continue these stories after Empire. Yeah, and I mean, eventually it's going to start moving more into the time gap between Jedi and The Force Awakens, which we're kind of seeing with novels at the moment and also with the Poe comic um, because of Bloodline, which smooth slide into Bloodline. But Bloodline is set six years, I think, before The Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. So it's a decent gap between Jedi and Bloodline. Quite a decent gap. A lot has happened and it sets up some stuff for The Force Awakens a little bit. We're going to have a quick talk about Bloodline with without spoilers just kind of a vague did we like it what did we think should people read it and then after that we're going to do a more spoilery section so if you haven't read the book and you want to read the book without spoilers don't listen to that because we will spoil the heck out of it pause it go read bloodline come back and listen to us then because you should definitely still listen to us <laughs> but, so first up we're gonna talk a bit about what we thought um bloodline so it's about leia it's very much a political thriller a little bit um, it's by Claudia Gray, who also wrote Lost Stars, which is personally one of my favorite Star Wars books. She's very good at capturing characters and romance stuff, though the book is not a romance book. Don't worry about that. What do you guys think? I really liked it. This one, I um, I wasn't sure if I would like it or not because I usually like stories about Force users. But what drew me to this was the characters. Leia was done well, but mostly it was the side characters. Uh, Greer Sonnel, who is a sort of speeder or s- spaceship racer. And I want to say she's in early retirement, but that's not entirely true, but we'll go with that. She uh, w- was a former spaceship racer. She was cool. Um, Carice Sindian, a sort of member of one of the ancient houses in the Star Wars galaxy, who her she aspires to be royalty the way Leia is. And Ransom Casterfo, who I think I'm pronouncing his name wrong. You nailed the girl. But Casterfo. It. It, yeah, no, it, it's... Wait. Casterfo. Oh, wait, I thought... Uh, no! No! <laughs> no, she I tweeted you... about it the other day. Claudia Gray no, tweeted it's about it. <laughs> it's really difficult, guys. But the emphasis is on the second syllable. Casterfo. So I have been saying it right. You, yeah, sure. you've been right this whole time. But Man, I'm not so good. saying it like that. Because it's hard. <laughs> Life is hard. So, Ransom... Casterfo, silent L, emphasis on the second syllable, is, <laughs> is a centrist as opposed to Leia being a populist. So they are of the two main political parties in the New Republic, and they are rivals at first, which grows into an alliance, which grows into more rivalry, which grows into drama and they were written very well they were written very well as really close platonic friends i think as well as both very smart people very um adept at maneuvering in the political space with very different ideas about what the new republic is and what the empire was because Kesterfo is sort of an empire fan he keeps stormtroopers 
Cooper helmets in his office and he keeps memorabilia, but he also has, he has his own reasons for not wanting that empire to come back into power, even though he likes the idea of an empire. And I thought that the political stuff was drawn with a lot more nuance than it could have been. So I gave this book a four out of five. I thought the prose was a little shakier than in Lost Stars, but in general, I really enjoyed it, despite not feeling like I was really the target audience. And it stuck with me, like, I'll just see, you know, something in my day and go, oh, that reminds me of Carice or something, and that's been fun. (laughs) So, Paul, I know you are a little more lukewarm on it than... Well, that I think either I or Sapphire, right? That's true. Yeah, I guess compared to you guys, I'm like, I hate it. But no, no, no. I mean, because I, <laughs> you guys, well, she loves it. I know Saf loves it. And you liked it. And I, I thought it was it was good. I don't think it was it was great. And here's the reason. Uh, I just kind of, it took me, it, it took a while to get really the story moving for me. I, I did like Lost Stars by Claudia Gray before. It, that I was immediately hooked. In, it was kind of the opposite in that book. Whereas I was hooked immediately, and then I got I got kind of shaky in the middle of the book, and then I loved the ending of the book. Whereas this one, it took me a while to get into the book, and then once I got to the meat and potatoes of the book, I was like, okay, I'm all in. And and we'll get into more of what I liked in the spoiler section because I what I loved about the book is the is the info I got about Leia and her family. So I mean, we're talking like little bits and pieces we got, you know, morsels they fed us but the little morsels they gave us the implications on them are huge at the same time which we'll get into that in spoilers but as far as my overall view I, I did like it. Um, I just didn't think it was always the strongest, you know, story necessarily. But like I said, it definitely set up. And it's interesting. Interesting. Once I read this book, I watched The Force Awakens again. Imagine that. Um, and it really did help me understand a little bit about again, spoiler. Not really saying anything about spoilers, but understand some things. And my I, have a, I now have a better understanding of the galaxy as a whole because of this book. And I think it's a and I, and I, I'm going to steal this from my buddy Bottle Rocket, which um, he's a, he does vines with his family. He's a hilarious guy. And I don't even know his real name. So if you hear this, Bottle Rocket, I'm sorry. But I'm just calling you Bottle Rocket. He said, this is what kind of what we should have gotten instead of Aftermath. And I kind of agree with him. And I know you guys may not necessarily agree with that completely. And, and hear me out. The reason I think that's a, that's a good point is because it gives, if you take away some of the bigger spoilers in the book, like acknowledging Ben and things like that, if you take those away and like, and you don't have to talk about them or you do some, you know, do a very specific thing with it, just get a state of the galaxy kind of a book. That'd be nice. And I think that's what I think this book did a really good job of is setting up what's going on in The Force Awakens even better. And actually, and, and I'm, not, I'm not kidding, this is where I like to leave a little bit more after I watch The Force Awakens is that it really helped me go, huh, okay, in my small, idiotic brain, I understand what's going on a little bit better now because of this. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that's a credit to Claudia Gray, honestly, and, and I yeah. think Story Group. I have mixed feelings on the Aftermath thing. I hate saying Aftermath because I just can't say it properly. But I agree that the way it set up the galaxy and gave like little tidbits without giving away like heaps of information would have been really good for a Journey of the Force Awakens book. Main issue is you can't divorce a lot of the stuff that you would need to take out of this book for it to work for one of those. Like you say, the mentions of Ben and stuff, you couldn't have taken that out and still have written it as a believable book after the Force Awakens comes out. It has to stand as a book, even without that movie. I mean, with it needs to stand as a book with knowledge from the movie. So the character Leia is in the movie needs to work with the book as well. And they couldn't have cut that stuff out without taking away from her character. It definitely, yeah, it sets up the galaxy really well. It, it has a lot of information that would have been nice to have before The Force Awakens came out, just yep. so you know a bit more about the state of the galaxy, because we got hints at it, very vague hints at it, like the idea that there was a chancellor and that they, the New Republic didn't like, they dumbed down their military a whole lot. That's stuff you get from Aftermath, and it helps a bit, but you still don't know everything. And this book gives you a lot of that. I liked it a lot. I did. I wouldn't say I love it because I never tend to love Star Wars books that are established characters as the lead. So like books that have Leia or Luke or whatever, they're not generally my favorites. I like the books that have original characters. So Lost Stars and Twilight Company, I love them so much because they're all new characters. 
in very unique styles. And that's what I loved in the Expanded Universe as well, was the books that were more unique and had new characters as the leads rather than the characters from the movies. And so I'm glad that's kind of continuing into the new canon as well, even though there's also good books that star characters from the movies as well, like Bloodline, which I think I gave an 8.5 in my review because it wasn't quite a 9, but it was still a little bit better than an 8. So it's in the middle. It's an 8.5 for me. <laughs> I think both Bloodline and Aftermath are puzzle pieces. And we're going to gradually see those puzzle pieces be filled in. I don't know how long it'll take, but as more books and more comics come out, that was one thing that I... It's hard to say I dislike this because it's very much an issue of expectation versus reality. But we didn't learn a lot about Leia's family in Bloodline. And again, I'm going to be careful and not tread too close to spoiler things, but we learned a little bit about the Senate and how it worked. Um, We didn't learn as much as I would have liked about Hosnian Prime. To me, the Senate read very much like the Senate on Coruscant, and I would have liked a little bit more about how it's different. But to me, there wasn't enough information in this book that was essential information. If you were going to pick it up solely to find out things about The Force Awakens. You had, you weren't a big reader, you had no interest in the story, you're purely in it for facts. There weren't many pure facts, which I don't think is a bad thing, but it was, it was less illuminating than I thought it would be. I think that's going to be a problem for a while yet still with the books is that you can't expect them to tell you much. And that was a big problem with the journey of the force awakens was that people expected a lot more information about the new galaxy than they were actually ever going to get. Mm. Like, I think that's why aftermath fell so flat for a lot of people is because they were expecting this massive book with, you know, characters from the original trilogy or stuff like that. And telling us a lot more, which was never going to happen. And it was, yeah, the expectation versus reality. And that's the problem with a lot of the books that will be coming out is you've got to have low expectations for how much information you're getting because you're not going to get much. There's still they want a lot to be from the have movies. Have to be put in the movies. Yeah. And once once the sequel trilogy is out, we're going to get a lot more and it's going to be amazing. I'm so excited for what the book universe will look like after episode 9 comes out. It's going to be so good because we'll get information that we've never been able to have before. But until then, it's going to be a little bit rarer. Mhm. It's funny, Seth, because I was just thinking that same thing. Like, I, I'm really looking forward to when Episode Nine is done, and you can go back and really fill in, literally, ev- almost every you know missing piece we have, and just be able to kind of look at the whole grand story together and go, okay, this makes more sense. I think that's kind of the problem with this right now. Where I mean, and, and I think it was the problem with the prequel trilogy too. Was George just kind of was like, oh yeah, we'll just kind of throw some stuff out there. Uh, you, know, you know, it's like right now, it's he. <laughs> Kind of went with he kind of just made up as he went along, yeah. and we're talking like literally from movie to movie. Whereas this is different. <laughs> like you know, before they didn't really know where the story was going. Literally, like the next year, they're waiting for George to finish it, and he's like, "I'll go on vacation, and I'll finish it." You know, now we have you know they're shooting episode eight right now. Two years later, it'll be released from the you know from the Force Awakens release date, and then episode nine script is being worked on as we speak. So this, the threads are already there, and the universe has already been built, and they're filling in the holes as we speak so instead of having like a bunch of gaps and you're gonna have to like make up those gaps way later after the fact and kind of go okay what should we put here instead like the anakin and obi-wan comic we got i mean that is very much like well there's nothing we don't really know what happens in the middle there's stuff that happens in legends but you know what do we do right here now it's like you had to fill in those gaps well, those, well it's funny because for the most part all those books we're going to get, like Bloodline, you know, Life Debt, Aftermath, etc., etc., all these books are already being plotted out, like, now. So by the time Episode Nine comes out, we'll probably have most of those gaps we got from, like, the prequel trilogy that were left open for a long time, or even with uh, The Clone Wars, it was, you know, left open. For- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A long time until George revisited in 2008 and then really started putting more stuff in there. It's going to be all told to us right away. We're going to know exactly what happens. Like there's things they leave out for the books, maybe purposefully, just like the politics. And we all talk about the politics being a lot of people's favorite part of Star Wars. And I know some people will kind of go, what? And yeah, I, I was kind of surprised to hear that, too. I was surprised to hear people really like the politics side of Star Wars. <laughs> I love the politics and, side. And, and that's cool. Like, I and I don't I don't actually I like it. I don't love it. I like it. I'm all about get a blaster and a lightsaber and I'll be good, you know, but uh <laughs> but but my, but, Same. My, but here's my thing. Like we were getting all this, and they're pl- instead of using that in this in the movie, they're like, you know what? We know there's a lot of fans like Saf out there, and who and, and I say a lot. And they a they lot. say my name specifically. They too. go, Saf likes this. We got to put it into a book. But you know what I mean? Like they, <laughs> they have people. There's p- the people like you, Saf. They're gonna want to know about the politics side, the political side, and then they're gonna make a book that's geared towards that. And it's look how successful it's been. It's been successful as far as I know. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that instead of trying to do cover everything in the movies like George kind of did, they're picking and choosing what they're going to have in the movies, like what's pivotal and what's not. And the political side is not necessarily the most important thing in the films thus far. Though Ryan Johnson's could be different, but it's so far it remains to be seen. But given as of now, it seems they're leaving the, the expanded material to explore that right now. I agree. And it's a good way to do it, I think, to not try and fit anything into the movies. But there will be a lot that will still be from the movies. So we're not going to get still a lot of information a lot of the time from the novels and the comics and anything else, anything else ancillary that comes out. But it's also going to be interesting in the way that because they're planning so far ahead, they've probably got plans for whatever the next trilogy is going to be, like vague plans even, that we'll still be getting hints at even that stuff. It's not going to have the same issue that the old Expanded Universe had when the prequels came along that suddenly stuff stopped making sense because there was a new canon. It's going to theoretically work well into the future, which is exciting. And I'm excited to see that. (laughs) Theoretically. But let's not go too far into the future because we've got Bloodline. Let's go into the spoilers now. So if you haven't read the book yet and you don't want spoilers, don't listen on. Go pause. Pause it right now. The first thing that, well, you talked about the politics, Paul. This book is very much about Leia and politics because she's been a politician her entire life. That's just been her thing. And still, she's a politician and she's kind of weighed down by how useless the Senate has become. And in a recent interview with Eric Geller, Claudia Gray said the story was not meant to be a direct reflection of current American politics. It didn't feel like that to me because of the way the parties act. They're not representative of the Democrats or the Republicans in any way, really. They're both very different. It felt to me like a natural growth of how political parties form, how a lot of democracies end up with the two main parties on each side that are kind of extremist views of each side. Like there's no real center option, which is very much what happens in Bloodline with the two different parties. What do you guys think? I did think that there were parallels that could be drawn. If you consider that the major difference between the two was basically whether you had big government or small government. However, part of what I liked a lot about how Claudia Gray handled this is that each side had good points and Leia knew that each side had good points. She's a populist. She talked about there are um, extremists within the populists that can do harmful things and that there are people within the centrists who have good ideas. And I thought if Claudia Gray was going for anything here, she was going for, like you said, that kind of universal, this is what happens when a government is very young and the New Republic is very young. We don't even know exactly how young. There's going to be this divide, but there's also going to be um, a chance for alliance between the two sides. Paul, did you have any other thoughts oh, about that? No, oh, no, no. I have, I have no, no other thoughts about that. No <laughs> thoughts. Okay. I think some people did because they, they don't really have much experience with more politics than what they see on TV in America. And your politics are very much a media show a lot of the time, I feel. It's easy to see the two parties in this and be like, oh, she's obviously pushing some politics agenda. Because, you know, a lot of people like reading these books and seeing agendas in them. 
that's just true. a thing that's been happening with a lot of these later books for potentially obvious reasons. I think it, it seeing it like that definitely ignores how obviously well Claudia Gray understands politics. Like she may not be a political scientist or anything, but she understands how it feels from the inside probably and also kind of how it looks from the outside. The way that, yeah, like you said, that there are good points and bad points to each party and both of them have extremists and you can be very strongly on one side like Leia is and still see the good in the other side like there's a point eventually where she kind of sees what Ransom likes in the aesthetics of the Empire but she understands eventually that he doesn't actually want the Empire to be a thing it's something that you know she's got to work through with him and if there was more communication between those two earlier on like before the book even it's possible they both could have seen those sides a lot earlier before everything kind of happens it's a very organic growth, I think, mm-hmm. from not wanting to recreate the Empire, but also not wanting to fall into what made the Old Republic so bad was the lack of the the not the lack of the overuse of bureaucracy and none of the politicians actually having any power to do anything until Palpatine came along and gave himself too much power. And then they got the Empire and yeah. then nobody could do anything except for the Emperor. <laughs> then you got yourself an Empire. <laughs> well, you know, I, I will say this about the, the politics side. I think that was really interesting that I think Claudia Gray does a really good job of showing you what would be appealing about the Empire through Castrofo and and also to go back to her novel Lost Stars, she does a great job of, of, of why these characters would even you know do this in the first place because obviously it, it's a, you know, it's not a democracy, it, it's a dictatorship but it's masqueraded as it's a democracy still as we know through because the senate was still intact you know for 15 years after the empire came around so i think it's interesting that there are people like castrofo out there who are smart not evil people that can un- that can understand the empire i'm looking at you justin bulger um but uh <laughs> But no, like it's funny because I think there, I think every side there's a pro and a con, in my, and this in my life for the majority for the most part there's gray area obviously, but there's a pro and a con to everything to any kind of system or, or whatever, right? So to me, it's just that you know the empire was like you know Castro says yeah in the hands of the wrong person look you know it went the wrong way, but in the hands of a right person we can get things done because just you know this is exactly what happened to the old republic to the new republic things became stagnant. They weren't getting things done. And that's exactly what you know, Leia was becoming a pro- you know, realized was the problem. And I think that, you know, we we reference Mon Mothma a lot and I think her absence in this book is a gigantic piece with that that we're getting that she got things done when, you know, she was around but she's somehow not in the story anymore. She's gone for whatever reason. She's sick. But you know, Leia references in the book that when Mon Mothma was there, things got done. But then now that she's gone, things aren't getting done. And I think it's interesting that they, it seems like the canon are, the, the canon is building this strong leadership and how we need strong leadership through these leaders, but it's falling when, you know, when they go, like things fall apart. And I think Mon Mothma is being built up as this is such an important person in, in the, in the, you know, in the canon. You know, when you look at, I mean, she always was in, I think, Legends as well, but, you know, through Rogue One. She's an actual, like, you know, the leader in Rogue One giving, um, I forgot her name, like, Jyn Erso, her orders. And she's, you know, they're, they're you know, they call, they call her Chancellor Mothma in the comic books. I mean, she's, and that's what essentially she becomes cool. after um, Aftermath. So, to me, it's just that it, it, it just shows you greater idea of once the leader goes down or these leaders deteriorate over time, their power erodes, and then nothing gets done. And I think that's what Castropo represents. And it's interesting that once Mon Mothma is gone, that's when the Republic starts to crumble. Yeah, and, and I think that I'm makes sense. Mon Mothma. I am too. Hopefully, I'm hoping that her being sick means she's like away on a vacation on some other planet. So when Hosnian Prime gets destroyed, she's fine. Oh, okay. I like it. That's most. That's my head cannon. Best possible world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, exactly. She can't. Like she's fine. Well, you, you <laughs> know, to to bring back the other novels as well. When we're talking about the politics of Star Wars and and Bloodline, it's interesting that and another reason. And I kind of think about it now. You know, Mon Mothma is a reason why things don't get done either because she doesn't believe in a, in a high military. Because you know, you have a reaction to hmm. to Emperor Palpatine because she didn't want a big military. So she, yeah. you know, and I think, and I, I wonder well, if that's the, interesting. And I'm 
wondering if her fear of becoming the Empire is what is driving it to become an Empire. You know what I mean? Like, you need to take hold of that. So I just kind of thought about that because I know she said that in Aftermath that she didn't want military. She was going to demilitarize as soon as, uh, you know, they got things kind of squared away with the Empire or whatever, the remnants of the Empire. So you kind of wonder, with The Force Awakens, you, you've exploded, you know, Hosnian Prime. You've essentially destroyed the Republic or essentially its leaders at the point and, and whatever military it had or Navy it had. And then you also have the fact that, you know, but those those planets who are all part of the Republic, they still exist. So you're wondering, like, what what's the theme that the sequel trilogy is going to be bring out through the political sphere? And what major theme are you going to go with? I almost think that they're going to say, you know, every planet's going to have to unite and, 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 and stand up against the First Order as opposed to having a, you know, stationed military kind of a thing. So I don't know. It's just I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to see through like, again, we talk about how articulated everything is going to be in the sequel trilogy era. It's interesting what they're setting up with this government because it definitely seems like it's weaker. And why is it weaker? And it seems like no one really wants to do anything that's worth fighting for at this point. Uh, that was really the thesis of this novel, I think, from the very beginning. The New Republic is not effective, and this novel is the story of the formation of the resistance at the very end. Leia says, you know, this is, we need to form a resistance, basically. So this helped, although it didn't tell us a lot about the First Order, it helped me understand the degree to which the First Order and the resistance are both splinter groups. There wasn't much discussion about the treaty that we know about from the, I think, The Force Awakens visual guide. Um, The treaty between the Empire and the Republic was not really discussed, but the formation of those splinter groups is obviously starting, and it really makes me want to know more. I want to know how Hux Sr. from the um, Servants of the Empire books got involved, whether he's involved with Carice Indian's group of First Order people. Like, so many questions. It feels like by this point, the First Order has gone pretty deep. And to quickly go back to what Paul was saying about wondering where this is going to go politically, like theme wise, like Star Wars has always been relatively strong commentary on political whatever. Like George Lucas very much showed what was good about democracy a lot of the time, um, but also what was bad about it. And it's interesting to see the sequel trilogy is kind of taking that on in a different way. It's not overt in any way because you don't see much of the politics in The Force Awakens. And it's possible we might not see it much in the rest of the trilogy either. But in the ancillary material, you were definitely getting hints of it. And it is interesting to see where they go with it and what they're going to end up with as the ideal, I guess, for this Mm -hmm. galaxy because it's going to be very different to what they used to have. It has to be at this point because it's obvious that the previous things are not working very well. It's funny because you brought the Splinter Groups, Megan, and that's exactly what I loved about this book that we had to learn about the First Order and the Resistance, you know, and I think you could have called this book easily instead of Bloodline, The Rise of the Resistance or something like that, because the Resistance was birthed out of this the story because of the lack of involvement with the government. And even though we kind of got that idea it was never really clear to us in the Force Awakens. It, it almost seemed like it was it was a direct like result of the First Order, and that's why Leia was like you know created the Resistance. Whereas she didn't really know of the First Order necessarily completely in this book. You know, at the very end, you have these gangster types trying to take over, working for the First Order. Which is again, it's interesting that the First Order is using this and and as these this underworld as a way to, to get bigger and get stronger, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Again, it goes to what you said about a splinter group. And I think I didn't really know how big the First Order was until, honestly, what you you know, this book, this book made it seem pretty small. So then you have the resistance rise up at the very end of the novel, essentially created by Leia. And it's like, wow, this is exactly what I needed to know about going into The Force Awakens. Because when you, and I don't know about you guys, when you're listening to or, or to talking about it on podcast or whatever about who the resistance is and who the First Order is, I only thought of like the rebellion. 
rebellion in the empire, just like anyone else, you know, any other common person would, for the most part. And you think of them as big entities. Even though the Rebel Alliance was somewhat bigger, you know, and the empire was huge, right? Well, I, I, I can't always associate those things with the resistance and the First Order. That's not the case. And the book that I think does a great job of explaining that, that the First Order is not that big. It's a cult, essentially, you know? It's it's not like this giant empire. It's not. It's like, they, they, you know, they were out in the outer rim or as outer rim, um, the unknown regions and just like grew to be this another empire just comes and invades everybody. That's not the case. In fact, it seems like they're so small that they're just kind of slowly, you know, building as, you know, as it were. And it makes sense to why we have these TIE fighters that are just repainted. It makes sense then if these Star Destroyers are, are very, very, very similar to what we have in the original trilogy because it's not like they had enough resources on their own to do this, you know? This is literally reusing the wheel and reinventing it and saying, well, we have these TIE Fighters, let's modify this and modify that and take this idea because this is our inspiration and this is what works and this is what we... This is also the resources we have for engineering, etc., etc., you know, all that stuff. So... It actually makes more sense to watch. Before, that was my big criticism of the first The Force Awakens was X-Wings and TIE Fighters. And the First Order makes even more sense now of everything because of Bloodline. It's like, oh, it's a small cult group. Granted, it's going to get bigger in six years, but it's not going to be Empire big in six years. So it was nice to get that clarity. And it was nice to watch The Force Awakens knowing that information because everything just seems like a little more reasonable now. It seems now the fight in the sequel trilogy between the resistance and the, and the first order as of right now anyway it makes more sense because it seems like a more level playing field and it seems like okay who's going to regain power more where's the power struggle going to come from what's going to happen you know it, it just seemed, it just made more sense to me and it just made it just kind of brought the force awakens together and i think that's why i love bloodline so much or i liked bloodline so much excuse me yeah i think um with the fo- the first order like they're not obviously not empire big because the empire is that big because it came from the foundations of the old republic like they literally had that entire thing to use already the first order it's yeah it seems a lot smaller in this book i don't think it's super small like it's probably bigger than they made it look in bloodline as well because lady like there's only certain i feel like there's probably different factions of it and that they're not all linked like compartmentalization you know to keep it safe somewhat um because i remember poe and before the awakening he's genuinely surprised by how much they actually have um when he follows is it yeah before the awakening when he follows that the ship or something and finds the star destroyer and realizes that they're bigger than they thought so i think yeah what leia discovers isn't everything because they're surprised by how much the first order has obviously yeah it's not empire size it's still a smaller group but it is definitely not a small group no, exactly. I agree. I totally agree. Yeah, and the resistance is definitely a lot smaller. Like, it probably grew relatively large. It's not a tiny force, but it's definitely nowhere near the size of the Rebellion either because they had years to get that together and they also had all the work of, you know, Bale and Mon Mothma in the background who had a lot of resources to go off of, whereas we only have Leia now. And I guess we've got the other people coming out of retirement, Ekbar, um, that kind of stuff. And so it is it is two smaller groups. Like, none of them are galaxy-wide groups yet. They haven't had the time to even grow into that yet. Um, and so, yeah, it is two smaller groups that will be fighting for the power vacuum that's basically opened up after the New Republic has been destroyed. And the Resistance is very much outmatched at the moment, because even though the First Order lost Starkiller base, they still have all of the Empire tech and equipment that they had before that. And the New Republic doesn't really have much except for what they have as, as gathered, which is like older material and stuff. Like the X-Wings that they have, the T-75s aren't even the latest model. They've got the T-80s that I guess were destroyed when the New Republic was destroyed. And so it kind of disheartening not really disheartening but it's it's kind of worrying to know that the first order even if it's not massive still has more than the resistance likely has and that they, the resistance have the the people behind it that it could have had previously that doesn't have the military or the government to help it out now that the first order is out as an actual enemy and a real threat and so episode eight will probably be a lot of yeah the resistance struggling to try and get the planets to unite against the first order but then you've got the problem that there would probably be some planets that would maybe welcome the first order they'd be more empire aligned because of the possibly the politicians that run them or mm-hmm. that they were a planet that was raised up because of the empire and then lost their power when the resistance or the rebellion won you know and so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see where they go with both of those factions yeah so 
speaking of First Order, we didn't actually see a lot of Ben Solo in this book. And that's something that I was going into it very curious about what we know about him. And we learned, I was very surprised to learn that he didn't even know that Darth Vader was his grandfather, or at least Leia had not told him. And he only learns after this book. Did that surprise you guys? A little bit, yeah. I was completely shocked. And honestly, there's so many ways I can take this. And for one, I don't think that he finds out through the, these means. I th- yeah, same. Yeah, I think he finds out before. And because here's the thing. In the book, we know that they haven't talked to Ben in a long time. And he's with Luke. And we don't know when the massacre happened for Luke. We, For all we know, it sounds like, you know, it could be anywhere between, you know, then and The Force Awakens or before that and The Force Awakens or whatever because, you know, they're obviously not in contact with them and I'm not sure if it's because they can't get a hold of them or they choose that, you know, they being Ben and Luke at the time decided not to have distractions or something like that and just check their messages here and there. It seems common that she doesn't talk to her son very often, if at all, besides just, you know, messages here and there. So the massacre must have happened. I'm almost, it could even happen a year before the book even happened. And so I think that the story is going to be told through Luke or in some, it may be in the unheard episode eight title, that film. Yeah, it, uh, it will be dealt with in the movie at some point. Movie yeah. or a, a whole nother novel or comic book that deals with the revelation of Ben Solo discovering that he is Darth Vader's grandson and the rem- the ramifications of that. And, and if, and Snoke even plays a part. So yeah, I think. I, I think- Personally, yeah, my my theory is that Snoke somehow contacted Kylo and told him the truth there, and that's how he got Kylo's trust and managed to drive him away from his family. I mean, I could totally be off. Like, there's nothing at all to suggest this, except that there's, like, hints that Snoke kind of groomed Kylo in some way and that Leia somehow knows of Snoke. Um, I don't know when he comes in, because he's not mentioned in Bloodline. Like, I was wondering if he was going to be a politician or something, like someone that people knew of prior to everything happening. But it seems like he's not really around until the First Order comes out, I guess. I don't know. Leia knows him somehow, and I'm curious how early he gets involved in Kylo's life, because if he knows about the Sith and knows about Darth Vader and knows the family Bloodline in any way, then he would be trying to find Ben as early as possible, I guess. Just going back to, for me, I always thought that Ben must have known. And I don't know, I'm still kind of like reeling from this. I'm I'm curious. Uh, I feel like if he didn't know, or rather if he did know, we're really, either way, we're going to get a lot about him, I'm sure. And maybe later on it will become more apparent that this was just not that book and this is Leia's book and that's a good thing. Exactly. No, exactly. And I think also the fact they didn't tell him, it just, it just shows you how important because no one knows except for, you know, like Leia says in the book, only a few people that she was Darth Vader's biological you know, daughter or whatever, or she was yeah. daughter of Darth Vader. So it was such a shocking part in the book when the Senate when it was revealed to the Senate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for me, I think that the fact that they haven't revealed it to, to him and, and remember in The Force Awakens, they say there's too much, there's always too much Vader in him. They were always afraid to tell him, you know, I think like, that I got from that to, yeah. or, you know, or looking back at it now with, with the Bloodline novel, that line comes across as they never told him because they were afraid of what would, it might happen. Mm-hmm. Which even yeah, goes, I agree. Which even goes into more what we were saying, Saf, about Snoke being the one to reveal it to him, not even Luke, because that would be, why didn't you tell me? You know, goes it kind of goes back into, like, you know, Luke telling Ben, um, or Obi-Wan Kenobi, or I said Ben, but he says, you know, why why didn't you tell me? And that's kind of, you know, Kylo Ren can think the same thing, like, are you afraid of what I could become? And that's what Snoke probably uses against them, is like, yes, they're afraid of your power, and that's why they didn't tell you. I mean, it just goes, to- it makes, makes total sense, at least from this theory. Yeah, and I mean, that that may not be the truth, or it may be the truth, and we may be right. We'll see, I guess, in a, a year or so, maybe, hopefully. hopefully. Um, I like, it does say a lot for how scared Leia is about the Vader inside of her as well, as well as Kylo 
or Ben rather, because they're not telling Ben, and they obviously they saw it. They saw it in him because they do say that in the Force Awakens, like you said, Paul. It's a very obvious thing. Even Han like recognizes it, and you know Han was not into the Force and stuff before the original trilogy, and then now he's all talking about all of it like it's just stuff he's very familiar with now. And the fact that Han recognizes how much Vader is in Ben probably says a lot. And you can see in the book that Leia herself is not comfortable with it. She's she knows she's got more anger in herself than Luke does, or at least she feels like she does. And her conscious decision not to become a Jedi or learn those things probably stems from that a lot. Not wanting to become the next Darth Vader or Lady Vader or whatever. She doesn't want to become that person Lady and she Vader. knows that it's possible. <laughs> I don't know. I'm making stuff up. Yeah. No, no, no. She knows that. I was almost waiting for the Lady Vader thing to come back. But By, by the way, just <laughs> tonight, just to let you know, there was a... Um, a band in Seattle, and they they were very very small, like only operational for like less than a year, I think. Their band name was Lady Vader. Okay, that's pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome. I know it's pretty <laughs> rad. So that name's still out there, people. If you want to use it, Lady Vader's a sweet band name. I love that band name. <laughs> Anyway, I'm yeah, sorry. but I feel like she definitely has a very clear idea of what the dark side can do, even if she hasn't experienced it herself. Like, because she's not a Jedi, she hasn't been able to fall into that entirely. But she knows the Force, and she's seen what it can do to people. And knowing that bloodline is inside of her, and that she's passed it on to her child, is probably really terrifying. And maybe it's not the best choice for her and Han to not have told Ben. Maybe that did not help at all. If they had told him earlier, they could have helped him through it and not had the whole Kylo Ren situation happen. But I can also understand their choice for not telling him. It doesn't make their bad parents by any means. Like a lot of people have been saying that, you know, they were bad parents for it. And parents do keep secrets like that because it's hard to know how your child will react. Even if you love them, it's very hard to know. And especially when it's something like Darth Vader is your grandfather, it's not an easy thing to talk about. <laughs> the hard part for me is I'm really wondering what Luke thought of all this because Luke had the exact same traumatic experience of, oh no, Darth Vader is related to me. And I imagine that he wouldn't want Ben to have that in such a traumatic way. But, you know, we, we don't have nearly enough information to say why he would have made that decision. Anything else about Bloodline? We talked about the fact that the Senate was shocked to find out that Vader was related to Leia. And that was the most, like, significant part of this book for me. That was the part where I was just like, gasp. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree. Especially since you can see it coming. Like, the moment Lady Carice, like finds and yeah. the, the box and discovers that. And then when she, like, looks at Ransom and she's like, oh, I need to drive them apart. Like, the moment that happens, you're just like, oh, no. I know exactly where this is going. And I feel mm-hmm. like Lost Stars did it as well. It gives you that sense of inevitability for the awful thing happening. Like, you know it's coming. And it's kind of predictable. But at the same time, you just have to keep going because you're just like, I need, to, I need to see it play out. I need to see how this happens. And so you just keep reading and you, you feel awful and you know what's going to happen. But you just can't put down the book. And then it happens and you, just, you want to tear out your heart because it's awful. <laughs> yeah, that was so good. And as much as I do think that Bloodline doesn't have as distinct a voice as, say, Shatterpoint or Aftermath, it is constructed really, really well. Definitely. No, I, I think the story was a solid story, even though it took a while to get in. I, the, some of the you know quick hitters that I would I would say that I liked about this book was Nivian, uh, Rivian uh, Die. I'm, I'm probably butchering that name. Um, R- Rivian Die, whatever his name is, I can't I can't say his name. <laughs> Rin Riven. Yeah, maybe Rin Riven. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rin, 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 Rin Die. Yeah, that's right. Rin Riven Die. Saying, I think. I think great job, guys. Sounds good. <laughs> I, I actually like that character because I like Nick Dues, Nick Nick Doze. My my friend my friend. Dave and I were arguing about how to pronounce that. But uh yeah, like I love that character and I love the fact that he kind of admired Leia for killing Jabba the Hutt, calling her Hutt Slayer. And, you know, I, I thought that was really cool that they kind of acknowledged that how like tough Leia was. I mean, you gotta think about it for people who don't really know the backstories of the Huts. The Huts are powerful, wealthy gangsters, and not just Jabba. It's like the whole species is, is just like a big, really huge crime organization that is almost untouchable. And when you kill one, you're gonna get a huge bounty on your head in the process. And people are gonna come after you. And so the huts for so long were so untouchable and Leia killing Jabba, you know, Jabba being a prominent hut, you know, in the Clone Wars and being part of their kind of, you know, inner circle or whatever was a big deal. And I think that acknowledging that other underworld people were like, man, you killed Jabba the Hutt. Like, that's awesome. And being in reverence to her in, in a lot of ways, like Rin Riven was, I thought it was cool. And I think it was nice to kind of, you know, Leia just didn't think of it much. It's just like, yeah, he was a disgusting person and I had to do what I had to do kind of a thing. And she wasn't necessarily proud of it, but she, you know, it, it just happened. So it was cool to kind of 
see that kind of play out a little bit because I wasn't expecting that to be acknowledged. And actually kind of being kind of an important point for her connection with Primriven to kind of get close to him and kind of ensure that, you know, this doesn't scare me. You know, these everyone finding out that I killed Jabba because that's still not really known. You know, it was just a hollow cube that he found and he tried to blackmail her essentially. And he was, she was like, no, I'm not afraid of that. So it was interesting that they brought that up and the fact that it was still a kind of a, 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 a major point. I have mixed feelings on the Hut Slayer term, um, but I definitely like the idea of that whole dynamic that Rin Riven and Leia kind of had, that he looked up to her a lot and kind of idolized her for killing Jabba, who was one of the biggest Huts, not just literally, but like probably metaphorically. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that was really cool, like acknowledging that people within that galaxy thought she was awesome for that too. It was interesting to see the Nikto come back, although every once in a while I'd forget that Rin, Rin Ribbon was alien because he just acted so, I don't know, they never, they didn't really point out all the time that he was an alien. Maybe I just got another Star Wars books, but like, I don't know why I kept forgetting. But so um, human the human Megan. I'm, I'm sorry. I realize <laughs> that now. Um <laughs> He didn't seem alien to me. Um, the Hut Slayer thing. I liked that Leia was really uncomfortable with receiving the hologram because basically she said, so Rin Riven was trying to build it up as this impressive thing and Leia was just like, that's footage of me committing a murder. I'm a senator and that's me committing a murder and that's what her dominant thought was about it. She didn't really think about the fact that she was in this you know, slave outfit. She took it very seriously and that was probably the most interesting part to me. I also have mixed feelings about the idea of reclaiming that name, but it was fine the way they used it. Yeah, and it was a cool thing to see the way Claudia Gray kind of interacted with fandom there. Like, the idea, she she talked about it a bit somewhere. I can't remember where, possibly on the actual Star Wars site with an interview. I can't remember the interview with it. But she talked about it a little bit that she was already coming up with the idea of this character respecting Leia because of her killing Jabba. And then she saw, there was the whole discussion about the Slave Leia outfit and the Hut Slave Leia. And so she saw those conversations and she took the term and she incorporated it into canon. And it was it's kind of cool to see people speak out about this stuff in fandom and then it eventually being incorporated because the authors have similar thought patterns. It's good to see that interaction. That is cool. I think that was in the Jennifer Heddle interview, which came out recently. Um, yes, that she, right. yeah, she. I, I always like seeing that interplay between ideas the fans come up with and the actual canon. And it's nice to know that the authors listen to us in some form even if it's not like obvious stuff it's cool to see that interaction we're not just divorced from star wars it's it's our star wars still yeah do you guys have any last thoughts no i'm good i think i I think i think that's it (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay cool so that'll be our episode for today this month even um we'll be back next month with more stuff who knows what yet but more Star Wars. Oh, more Star Hopefully, Wars. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> if you have any thoughts on Bloodline, feel free to hit us up on our Twitter, which is Blaster Cannon Pod, I think. Yes, it is, at Blaster Cannon Pod. We love hearing your opinion, so definitely hit us up on your thoughts about Bloodline. You can find us on Den of Geeks SoundCloud, I think. Yes, that's correct. We're still working on getting this on iTunes, but it is available on SoundCloud. I believe it's also available on Den of Geek itself. So if you look on the articles there or search there, you will be able to find the link to yes. the SoundCloud file. And thank you so much for people who are, who are asking for Google Play and iTunes. It's out of our hands, but Den of Geek is working on it. It will happen eventually. Hopefully, maybe by this episode, it'll, it'll happen. If it doesn't, we promise it. it is going to happen at some point. So thank you so much for your patience. And thank you so much for everyone's downloads and the nice words we're getting. Like, we've got a lot of support and i think i speak for all of us so we really appreciate it and thank you everyone for the support and the, the thanks so much and keep doing it and we'll keep uh giving you uh the best podcast we can get absolutely yeah. so Good until job. next month we'll leave you guys to it <laughs> <laughs> goodbye bye Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.